Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. All right. Well, today's a good day. Glad you guys are here. So fun. Glad you guys are able to join us online. Uh, just a reminder again, if you're watching online, put the dishes down, put the stuff down, sit and watch, join in. When you hear a really great point, yell out amen, even if you're the only one in the room. Especially, I, I, actually, when I was able to watch, uh, I was on sabbatical uh, a year and a half ago, and I watched a lot of services online, and uh, my family would still go to church here, and I was watching online with other churches. And it was just really fun because I got to yell out amen, and I wasn't embarrassed at all because there was nobody to hear me. So join in. If you're watching from home, join in as much as you possibly can. Well, I went to, uh, to Bible college quite a few years ago now, and when I got into Bible college, um, I don't know if the, all the Bible colleges do this, but where I went, they did this. You did an entrance exam, and it was a 150-question entrance exam on stuff about the Bible. I remember coming out of that test totally confused. Uh, I'd only been a Christian for about three years uh, at that point, and I knew hardly anything about the Bible. I knew hardly anything about theology. And I remember after the test, I got together with some of the other students uh, that had taken the test, and I said, that was such a hard test. Like, what in the world? Most of those questions, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I remember one question in particular that just, I just thought it was crazy. And here's the question. And the question was, and, and you guys can kind of jump in here. Don't answer out loud because I'll feel embarrassed. But here's, here's, uh, here's what the question was. In which book of the Bible will you find someone saying, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this? I remember reading that and I thought, who would be able to answer that question? The Bible's so big. That's a crazy question. And I said that to the other students. I said, did you guys see that question? That's a crazy, crazy question. Who could answer that question? Of course, they looked at me kind of strangely and, and thought that actually was quite an easy question. And maybe you thought it was an easy question as well. If you know it, it was Mordecai speaking to Queen Esther in the book of Esther. But for me, I had never heard that before. It was totally alien to me. It was a strange, strange question. I ended up getting 30 questions right out of 150 on that test. And it was multiple choice, so I'm sure I got lucky on a couple of those. I did much better when I did my exam again on my exit exam when I graduated. But in the beginning, I had only been a Christian for three years, and I knew nothing about the Bible. But you know what I did know? I knew Jesus. I didn't know a lot about the theology of Jesus. I didn't know about his, what we're going to talk about today, his divinity and his humanity. I didn't understand all that stuff, but I knew him. At 16 years old, I became a Christian, not because someone explained to me the hypostatic union or any of these crazy things about Christology or theology or any of this stuff, but because someone I knew lived out the character of Jesus which brought me to wanting to know more about the person of Jesus. I think we need to remember that Jesus is not 
a theological truth. He is not a doctrine. He is not a philosophy or an ideology. Jesus is a person, a person who we can know, a person who loves us and cares for us. And while some people will seek out theology and they may find Jesus in the middle of it, most people find Jesus just as they are walking on the highway of life. And the way most people meet Jesus is not because of a book they read, not because they've studied Scripture, but because they saw you. Most people will know who Jesus is because they met someone like you who carries the character of Jesus in them. This is the beginning of our Let's Dance series where we're going to take uh, some time to look at the three members of the Trinity. Last week we talked about how the Trinity is in this dance that theologically is called the perichoresis or the circle dance. This triune dance emphasizes the co-equality of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three God, all three eternal, all three worthy of worship, all three honoring each other. Three distinct persons wrapped up in one God. Today and over the next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on the first person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. Today we answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is the Son? And I want to take you through some theology. We're going to talk some theology today because theology is good. But as we're talking theology today, you need to be thinking this is a person who wants to know me, who loves me. So I want to take you through three aspects of the character of Jesus today. And and here's the three aspects, things that, that are actually helpful for us to understand. First, we're going to look at the divinity of Jesus. Then we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus. And finally, we're going to look at the spirit empowered humanity of Jesus. So let's dive right in and look at the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. You cannot really read the New Testament without coming to the conclusion that Jesus is way more than merely a man. The fact that Jesus is God is one of the central truths that comes out of the New Testament. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a miracle worker. He was not just a prophet. Jesus was, is, and forever will be God. And this claim was not just made about Jesus. It wasn't just, you know, people 50 years down the road writing about Jesus saying, hey, he's God. This is actually something that Jesus said about himself. And he says this kind of thing, this this thing about being God in several places in the New Testament. But we're going to look at two closely associated moments between Jesus and the Jewish people. So, in John chapter 8, there's this moment where Jesus is trying to explain to the Jewish people that they need to be set free. He describes to them that they are actually in slavery to sin. They need to be set free. When when the Jewish people hear about this, when Jesus speaks this to them and they hear this, the prideful audience laughs. They laugh at Jesus' audacity that, that they would ever need to be set free from anything. They begin to educate Jesus. We are descendants of Abraham, they say, and we've never been slaved to anyone or anything. We don't need to be set free. 
Then there's this debate that goes on between Jesus and, Abra- Jesus and, and the Jewish people about Abraham. The Jewish people are relying on their lineage for salvation. It was a common problem. There was a lot of pride and arrogance in the Jewish people from where they came from because they were God's chosen people. And they relied on their lineage heavily. Their genealogy, they thought, erroneously of course, but their genealogy, they thought, would save them. But listen here, it doesn't matter who your daddy was. Everyone needs to be saved from their own sin. And Abraham, Abraham has no power to save anybody from anything, let alone the Jewish people from their sin. Only Jesus can save. At the end of this conversation that Jesus has with the Jewish people, Jesus asserts his supremacy over Abraham by saying this. Listen, this is what Jesus says. He says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. So he's trying to to convince the Jewish people, before Abraham was around, I am. You need to understand how crazy this little sentence is. The, The Jewish name for God is Yahweh. It came from the interaction between God, Yahweh, and Moses, where Moses says, who are you, God? And God says, I am, which is the name Yahweh. So whenever they would hear the words, I am, the Jewish people would always be thinking, what are you saying here? And in fact, when Jesus says here, before Abraham was born, I am, he is making a claim to his divinity. It's very clear, and it may not be very clear to us, but it was super clear to the Jewish people because look what happens in the very next verse. In John 8, 59, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. When we read this sentence, before Abraham was born, I am, nobody in here would ever pick up a stone and try to stone the person. We'd go, what are you talking about? But here, the Jewish people know Jesus is claiming divinity, and they were going to stone him for it. Just a little while later, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus is again talking to the Jewish people. It's a famous passage where Jesus is talking about the shepherd and the sheep. It's in John chapter 10. But as Jesus is having this conversation with with the Jewish people, they again ask him, are you the Messiah? They've been waiting for the promised one of Israel, the, the one that was to come from God, the Messiah. And so they ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And in this conversation, Jesus basically says, yes, I am the Messiah. And at the end of this this little conversation, Jesus says to them, John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Which, again, is an audacious statement. And you can see how audacious it is by the reaction of the people he's speaking to. Here's what happens. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, so this time he speaks back to them, they pick up stones, and Jesus says, wait a second here. He says, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? They reply, we are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, the Jewish people knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was claiming to be God. Jesus made this claim about himself that he is God. Now, if Jesus was not God, then he should have been stoned. He was either crazy or a liar. 
the people who tell you that Jesus was just a good preacher or a kind man or even a prophet need to know that Jesus himself claimed to be God. So you have to either believe that Jesus was who he said he was, or you have to believe that he was a liar or a lunatic. You can't say, well, he was just a good man. Because no, he said he was God. You can't say, well, he's just a prophet. No, he said he was God. If you think anything good of Jesus, well, you have to listen to what he's saying. Jesus declared that he was God. There's many passages in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels here, where Jesus speaks to himself being God. And he wasn't alone in teaching that he is God. There's many passages that speak to this throughout the rest of the the New Testament. But I want to take you to two passages in particular. We could spend all day long, actually, we could spend days and weeks and months looking at the passages that talk about Jesus' divinity. But I want to take you just to two. And the first one we're actually not even going to look at. I'm giving you homework. So I want you later on to go to John chapter 1. It's one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. It's it's my personal. If I I were just to have one chapter of the Bible to read over and over again, it'd be John chapter 1. So later today or later this week, go to John chapter 1. I want you to read it. I want you to look in there how it speaks about Jesus, who is God, who came in the flesh and became a, a human. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, who is God. It's just a fantastic passage of of Scripture, so read that later. We're going to go to the second passage of Scripture that I want to take you to, and we're going to look in this one a little more in-depth. It's kind of my second favorite passage of Scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, and here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, At many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, just stop here for a moment. The the author of Hebrews is speaking to the Jewish people, and he's saying to them, hey, you guys know that we are a people who are descended from greatness. We are God's chosen people, and we've had prophets, and we have had amazing people in our past that have spoken to us on God's behalf. But today... Today, God has spoken to us through His Son. Not just a mouthpiece, not just some person that He has said, here's a prophet, listen to Him, but His Son. His Son speaks to us today. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. Now, don't miss this this piece. Jesus... God, the Father, so in this passage when it says God is speaking to the Father, the Father created the universe through Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The the Father created the universe through Jesus. So, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is one of the most precious passages of Scripture right here. There's no doubt that the author of Hebrews is making the claim that Jesus is God, being the exact representation of the Father's being. It makes sense then 
From this passage of Scripture, it makes sense then when Jesus says that he is the I am because Jesus is God. It makes sense then when Jesus says, I am the Father of one because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is God. So I know we could spend a lot of time on this, but we're going we're gonna to move on. That's the first characteristic of Jesus. Jesus is God. Now, in the very next chapter of Hebrews, the author helps us understand our second characteristic of Jesus, that Jesus, even though he is fully God, is also fully man. So let's move now from Jesus' divinity to Jesus' humanity, looking first at this passage in Hebrews chapter 2. The reason we're going to go here to Hebrews 2 is because we can see why in this passage, we can see why Jesus, who is fully God, was also made fully human. We know, of course, that the author of Hebrews believes that Jesus is God. That's what he just spoke about in Hebrews chapter 1. But here we're going to see what the reason is for Jesus' humanity. So look here. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since the children, that's all of us, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who, have, who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he, Jesus, helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might, be, might, sorry, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is why Jesus had to be made in the flesh so that he could walk with us through this. It's one of the most beautiful explanations of why Jesus became human. See, the high priest was supposed to be the intermediary between man and God. But high priests had always been just human. And so the intermediary piece of this was faulty. They could never fully speak with God. They could never fully come before God because they were merely human. There's only one way for the bridging to have been done perfectly. And that's, that was for Jesus, who is fully God, to also be fully man. Jesus made the perfect high priest, who in his divinity had the power and the resources to save us, and who in his humanity walked in our shoes and shared our suffering. Jesus is the, per Jesus is the perfect bridge the perfect high priest between us and God since he's fully God and fully man. Now, throughout the rest of the Gospels, we see the humanity of Jesus. We see it played out. And, and, and it doesn't take much as you're reading through the Gospels to, to see that Jesus got tired, that he was so exhausted at one time that as the, the disciples are going across the ocean in a, in a boat and a storm is hit, that he's fast asleep. He was exhausted. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He, he got weary. He was born. This last point I find super amazing and mysterious. I, I, this, is, this is probably the best example of what it looks like to be human. Jesus was born. 
The God of the universe through whom everything was made was born. The God of all creation. Just ponder this. The God of all creation, Jesus, who was present with God in the beginning, through whom all things were made and and through whom everything is held together, the one who spoke the stars into existence. I don't know if you know how big the stars are. Like our sun is, is huge, but our sun is tiny compared to some of the other stars in the universe. And that God who spoke those stars into existence became a couple of cells in Mary's womb. That's crazy. A little bit of science for you. The human fertilized egg is the human fertilized egg cell is one of the biggest cells in the human body. But while it can be seen, if, it, if, it's, if it's a particularly large one, can be seen by the naked eye, it is still much smaller than the period at the end of a sentence. That's how tiny the human fertilized egg cell is. That's the space that the God of the universe inhabited. He humbled himself so much to enter into that space, a couple of little cells, in the womb of an unmarried young woman. That's crazy. Well, Jesus grew. He, was, he, he grew in the womb. He, he was born a, a normal little baby. Don't believe those old paintings that show Jesus standing up on his birthday preaching with a halo around his head. He was a normal little baby. He cried when he was hungry because he couldn't feed himself. He soiled himself after he was done eating and someone needed to change him. He grew as a normal little child needing his parents to take care of him all the way. The way Scripture puts it, uh, as Jesus grew and learned and and all that, Scripture says that he grew in stature and understanding. I don't understand that. I don't get it. Did he... Did he know he was God all the way through? Did he? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how that worked. But I do know that likely the God who made the trees was a really bad carpenter when he first tried it out. Isn't that funny? At one moment in Jesus' eternity, he was just like, boom, trees, boom, a star, boom, fish. Boom, humans. And then at another moment in his existence, he was like, I can't make these tools work. That's crazy. It's just crazy how much Jesus humbled himself to become a human. Jesus embraced his humanity and he entered into our world. Jesus was fully God and fully human. It's a mystery that should still boggle our minds a little bit. But I want to move into now this third characteristic of Jesus, his spirit-empowered humanity. Jesus being fully God and fully man has led to some confusion about how he operated in this world. There's several heresies that have come about, most of them early on, but some still come out uh, nowadays. But there's several heresies that tried to explain how Jesus operated in this world. One of the early ones was called Apollinarianism. 
which came about in the 4th century. And basically, uh, there was this guy, I, I think his name was Apollon something, because uh, it's named after him, but Apollinarianism is named after him. But he tried to explain how Jesus operated in this world by saying, well, Jesus had a human body and a divine mind. Kind of like he was half and half. Like mermaids are like half human, half fish. Jesus was half and half. Body of a, of a human, mind of a god. It was rejected right away. That was a terrible idea of trying to explain how Jesus operated in this world. It was a heresy and was noted as, as such. There was another heresy that came up trying to explain how Jesus operated in this world called Gnosticism, which believed that Jesus, um, Jesus was a, a human uh, in full humanity, was born a human, had a human personality, but that at some point the divine Spirit of God came over and superimposed himself upon Jesus, kind of like the idea that Jesus was a human that was possessed uh, by the divine spirit. Again, this is a, a, an inaccuracy. It's not that Jesus was a different person and, and there was God that kind of superimposed himself on Jesus. That is a heresy uh, that was refuted early on in Christianity. There are many heresies that tried to explain this mystery of how Jesus, on one hand, healed people miraculously, but on the other hand, also got tired and, and needed to take a nap. In, or, in Orthodox Christianity, we believe Scripture t- clearly teaches that Jesus is fully God and fully human with one personality, not two personalities, not two beings, one being superimposed upon the other and not half and half. Many of these early heresies like Apollinarianism and and Gnosticism were dealt with, like I said, back in the early 4th century and 5th century. However, we still struggle today to understand if Jesus is fully God and fully man, how did he do miraculous God-like things here on earth while also getting humanly tired and hungry? How did that happen? Those two things seem to be in conflict with each other. When we think about it just at this basic level, power and weakness don't normally go hand in hand. Now today, there are two main groups and ways of thinking around this area of trying to understand the miraculous and the common. Both groups believe in the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus, and both groups are orthodox uh, in their positions but they think about this topic a little bit differently. The first group believes that Jesus operated out of his divinity sometimes, like when we see him healing or walking on water. But at other times, when Jesus was tired or hungry or whatever, he was operating within the limitations of his humanity. The belief here is that Jesus sort of had an on and off switch, that Jesus would turn on his divinity and perform a miracle And then he would turn off his divinity and he'd take a nap. Now, I'm not trying to belittle this position. It's it's an honest position that people have come to to try to explain this. Uh, I don't believe in this position, but they tried to explain the idea of how Jesus operated in this world. What I see as the problem with this position, this line of thinking, thinking is, is that this doesn't put Jesus in a place where he understands our suffering. You see, if Jesus could just get out of his problems by snapping his fingers... What does he really know about our difficulties? None of us can do that. If we have a hard day, we have a hard day. If Jesus could just like snap his fingers and just get out of it, he wouldn't understand our suffering. 
This position also makes it difficult uh, for Jesus to be an example for us. How are we, or the disciples, or anyone, able to do the things that Jesus did? Clearly, Jesus expects us to be able to do some of the same things that he did. But how are we to do what Jesus did if Jesus did them because he's God? It would be impossible for us. None of us are God. If Jesus only did what he did because he was God, how could we possibly emulate Jesus? The first group believes... Jesus did his miraculous works out of his divinity. Alternatively, another group, which is the group that I stand with, believes Jesus did his miraculous works not out of his divinity, but out of his spirit-empowered humanity. Let me explain this. So look here in Philippians. Philippians is an amazing uh, book, but in Philippians chapter 2, we have this amazing picture of Jesus. Here's what Philippians 2 says, "...in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Now, Paul is using this passage to teach us about being humble, like Jesus. But this passage also teaches us uh, something about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And to our point specifically here, this passage, we see that Jesus did not take advantage of his divinity. What does that mean, to not take advantage of your divinity? It means to not actually access the divinity. If Jesus didn't take advantage of his divinity, then how could he possibly perform the miraculous signs and wonders? Well, I want to show you by looking at Jesus' ministry. In Luke's gospel, we see that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus begins by getting baptized by John. This is like the first thing that happens. Jesus goes, he's baptized by John, and then the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove. Following that baptism, Jesus went into the desert to fast for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. Now, I want you to look at how Luke reports this. Okay, so in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, here's how Luke reports this. Jesus has just been baptized. He's about to go into the desert. Luke says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit in the desert. So something happened at Jesus' baptism that Luke wants us to pay attention to. Jesus was filled to being full of the Holy Spirit. Luke draws attention to this by saying, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And then Luke says that Jesus was now led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. Now, after Jesus comes out of the desert, Luke picks this up again. In Luke chapter 4, 14, Luke says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, Luke is not just throwing words around here. This chapter, chapter 4, is a powerful chapter that you need to go home and read again later because there's a lot in this. Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit to record this here very purposefully. Jesus' ministry began with being baptized in water, then being filled with the Spirit, and then empowered by the Spirit. Following this, Jesus begins his ministry by going to this synagogue that's there and by reading a famous passage that you've heard before. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is a passage from Isaiah. The Spirit, Jesus is reading this. So in the middle of the synagogue, Jesus is reading this passage out. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke chapter 4, it is like the Holy Spirit on display. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus, led Jesus, empowered Jesus, was upon Jesus, anointed Jesus, and sent Jesus to do miraculous things. Leading us to the conclusion that Jesus did what he did, not by taking advantage of his divinity. Philippians tells us he didn't take advantage of his divinity. But by accessing his spirit-empowered humanity, by walking in the spirit, Jesus did what he did by walking in the spirit, by being led and empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. This means that it is wholly possible and even God intended for us to do what Jesus did. And the way that we can do what Jesus did is to access the same power that Jesus accessed. Not his divinity. We, can't, we, we are not divine. We are not God. We can't access that. But Jesus didn't access that either. He accessed the Spirit. And we can access that same Spirit-empowered humanity that Jesus walked in to make disciples, to share the gospel, to deliver the oppressed, to heal the sick, doing these things in the same Holy Spirit power that Jesus did. Even the early church was told to wait. The disciples, when Jesus was leaving, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power that my Father has for you. The early church was birthed out of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples at Pentecost. And in a very similar fashion to when Jesus had the Holy Spirit come upon him. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Here at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire. See, we are able to do what Jesus has asked us to do because we carry within us the same power that Jesus carried, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is fully divine. He is fully human. And he did what he did out of his Spirit-empowered humanity, which is really great news for us. I told the story at the beginning about how I came to Christ. I didn't know theology, even though theology is good to know. When I came to Christ, I didn't know theology. When I first met Jesus, I met him in the people I saw around me. I saw Jesus in the people who loved him and who were loved by him. I saw his character in them. I saw his grace in them. I saw his love in them. I saw Jesus in them. Just let them go by. Wherever they're going, Jesus, we just pray blessings over that whole situation that you protect them and that your power and your presence would go over that space right now in Jesus' name. You and I carry within us the spirit of Jesus. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit later, but for today, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit filled Jesus and empowered him to make disciples, to share the gospel, to deliver the oppressed and heal the sick. And he does the same thing in us. He does the same thing in us. If you've ever wondered, how in the world am I going to share the gospel with my friends? It's because you're filled with the Spirit 
Access the Holy Spirit in doing that. Ask Him to speak through you. Ask Him to empower you to do what you know God has called you to do. How are you going to pray for deliverance for your friends? How are you going to pray for healing for your friends? You can't do that in your own power. It's because the Holy Spirit lives within you that you're able to do that. Can you imagine what it would look like if just the group of us here, if just the group of us here were to take this seriously? That we walk in the same power as Jesus walked in, in his spirit-empowered humanity. If we took that seriously and went to the world looking for opportunities for God to show up, looking for ways for people to hear the gospel, to be delivered, to be healed. If we looked for opportunities because we knew that we walked in the same power and presence that Jesus walked in. Can you imagine what would happen if this group, just us here, were able to walk in that, to do that, to, to know this truth that we walk in the same power that Jesus walked in. I think if we knew that, we'd begin to see more salvations. We'd begin to see more deliverances, more healings. We'd be able to see the kingdom of God come here on earth as it is in heaven. So I just want you to stop for a moment. Stop for a moment. Can you see how Jesus wants you to walk in the same empowerment that he walked in? Can you imagine what it would look like if we began to take this seriously? Jesus wants us to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Would you like to see that happen? Would you like to see that happen? Well, let's press into what Jesus has for you. So I want you to stand with me here. I want to pray for you to receive today a fresh filling, a fresh empowering, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that, so that you too, you've already got Holy Spirit in you. But let's lean into what he has for us today for a fresh filling, a fresh empowering, a fresh anointing to walk in the same power that Jesus walked in, his Spirit-empowered humanity to go out there to see people saved, to see people delivered, to see people healed. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we're so thankful for the example that you've given to us of walking with the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to do what your Father told you to do. And now today, over your church, your people, you've, Jesus, you've called us to go out there and make disciples of all nations. You've called us to go out there and to deliver people from the torment. You've called us, Jesus, to go out there and to, uh, to pray for healing for people, to heal the sick, the lame, the blind. And we can't do that in our own power. And so today, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and fill your people. I just, I just speak the, the filling of the Holy Spirit over you right now, church, that you'll be filled to overflowing with Holy Spirit, that you'll be anointed in Him, that you'll be empowered by Him. And we'll talk about this later, but, but that the, the Holy Spirit, would you develop the fruits of Jesus Christ uh, in, in your church? Would you de develop the gifts of, of Jesus Christ in your, in your church? Fill us right now afresh Anoint us and empower us to do the work that you've called us to do, that we can walk in the same power that you walked in, Jesus. And God, we pray for salvations. We pray for deliverances. We pray for healings. 
We pray for this community and the communities beyond this community to be changed because you are reviving and moving and renewing, filling and anointing and empowering your church. May you be honored and glorified, Jesus, by all that we do and the way that we go about this world doing what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing and join us for this song, uh, and then we'll come up uh, for the benediction after. So I want to do a benediction now, uh, but I also want to give you the invitation. Uh, there'll be some people around. We've got a couple of elders in here that will come up and um, some people around that will be to pray for you at the end of the service. If you have a question uh, for either I or Dave or anybody else, we'd love to answer your questions. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're just here for you. So uh, don't feel like you need to, to run away right away, but connect and do what you need to do. Let me pray this, this benediction over you. Uh, now, So in Jesus Christ's powerful name, I bless you to know that you are loved by your heavenly Father. I bless you to know and see the face of Jesus, hearing his voice, calling you to do the things that he's calling you to do. I bless you to be filled and empowered by Holy Spirit, where he will develop the gifts and the fruit in you that are needed for the expansion of the kingdom. I bless you to walk in the Spirit in the same way Jesus walked to see salvations and deliverances and healing. I bless you to know who you are as a child of God, to know your identity solidly, and then to be able to walk that out. And God, as we go out into the world, we pray for God moments, God appointments for places where we can, we can speak the gospel, where we can, we can lay hands on people and pray for them to be delivered from their difficulties and trauma, where we can pray for the healing of the nations, Lord. We pray for those opportunities, and Lord, we, we, we excitedly watch for what you're going to do. So may you be honored and glorified, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And church, may you be built up and strengthened by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.